The scripture reading today comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 through 7. First, let us pray. Come to us, O God. Open our ears that we might hear your word, and open our hearts that we might embrace it. Amen. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, son of Shaphan, and Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever received at least as far as ministry is concerned, didn't come from a seminary classroom or a church sanctuary or a hospital lobby. It came from a baseball game, a Kansas City Royals baseball game shortly after I had moved to town. The church staff was taking the afternoon out of the office and at the ballpark in the name of staff development and team building and so earlier in the day when I was getting ready, I made sure that I was wearing a blue t-shirt because that was the team's colors. And well, you may have noticed that I'm rather pale, so I needed a hat to keep the sun out of my face. I grabbed the only baseball hat I could find on short notice. It happened to have a Detroit Tigers logo on it, but the Royals weren't playing the Tigers that day, so I figured it was safe enough. Well, it was sometime in the middle of the fifth inning that my friend Tom got up to go get some more food or another drink or something. When he came back, he tossed a Royals hat in my lap. Swap it out, he said, 
And then he said, always root for the hometown team. Always. That advice is something like the advice that Jeremiah offers the people of Jerusalem in the 6th century BCE. Jerusalem, the holy city, had been taken over by the Babylonians. And after the city was leveled, its people were taken captive back to Babylon and forced to live in exile far away from their home and everything familiar to them. How exactly were they supposed to carry on, do you think? How were they to live as God's faithful people in a foreign land and an alien culture? Well, conventional wisdom would have you stay apart, to remain as isolated from the rest of the city and its inhabitants as possible, to cloister yourselves off away, to keep to yourselves and practice your ritual and religion far away from the eyes of your captors. Tell the old stories, maintain old routines as much as you can, resist any attempt to acclimate. Hang on to that old heritage of yours, no matter what the cost. But when Jeremiah sends a letter full of advice, he says nothing like that. His instructions are to build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, get married and have children. In other words, settle in. Establish yourselves, integrate yourselves into the larger community. Commit to the place you find yourself. And then he says, seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. One of the most frequent questions I am asked when people learn that I used to live in New York City is what was it like to move from there to here? I'm never honestly sure how to answer that. No one is going to mistake the two cities. For one thing, there is nowhere in Columbia where you can experience come from away, Chicago, wicked, to kill a mockingbird, the Lion King, the waitress, dear Evan Hansen, and Harry Potter, all within two city blocks. And I miss that. But at the same time, there is nowhere in Columbia where you experience the overwhelming onslaught of four dozen aggressively cheerful, partially intoxicated, larger-than-life, furry red Elmo characters all coming at you at the same time. I don't miss that. New York and Columbia are dramatically different cities. And they are each wonderful and beautiful in their own right. But Jeremiah and his contemporaries, they never even dreamed of anything close to a city with eight and a half million residents. When Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city, he simply means something like, seek the welfare of the place where you live. Seek the welfare of the community that surrounds you. 
or in other words, always root for the hometown team. My friend was talking about baseball with that advice, but he was talking about more than baseball too. Because any ministry that is truly predicated on the gospel message is incarnational at its core. The doctrine of incarnation promises us that while the love of God extends to all people in all places and all times, Jesus Christ was indeed born at a particular time and a particular place to a particular family and among a particular people. That means that God's care and concern for us is both enormously universal and remarkably specific. And this wild theological claim is driven home by the Gospel of Matthew's assertion that not only was Jesus born at a particular time in a particular place to a particular family among particular people, he was also given a particular name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's right there in Scripture But time and time again, we seem to resist it, or deny it, or forget it. Almost as soon as the Christian faith was born, it was threatened by a heresy called docetism. Docetism proclaimed that Jesus was divine, but it denied that he was human. He only seemed human, you see. He seemed like us, but he was really just God in disguise, concealing his true divine identity. Jesus was never a human being, docetism claims. He was only ever a spiritual being, which means he was never really subject to all the limitations and problems of an earthly human existence. So God was only pretending to be with us in the midst of our sin and suffering. God's purpose, it would claim, is not to help us while we are in the world, but to help us escape from the world. Now, strict docetism may have faded away, but whispers of it still linger. There continues to be within some expressions of our Christian tradition a suspicion that this world is fallen and corrupt, ruined and sinful, and that the goal of our faith is simply that we would be delivered from this world in order to be delivered into another world when we die. Set yourself apart that tradition tells us. Keep yourself neat and clean and undefiled by the dirt and grime and mess of everyday living. As much as you can, forget about your body or anyone else's. Pay no attention to what bodies need. Focus only on the soul. Listen to conventional wisdom and cloister yourself off from the most broken parts of the world. It has been the temptation of Christian churches and individuals in every age to do exactly that. But a genuinely Christian faith does not avoid the problems and responsibilities of living in the world. 
Theologian Shirley Guthrie reminds us what we read in scripture. The communion of saints is not a purely religious community diverged from and uninterested in secular affairs, he writes. After all, Jesus prays to his father on his disciples' behalf, and he says, I am not asking you to take them out of the world. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So to be faithful then, I think if we want to live our lives the way that Jesus teaches, it means we live life in the world, with the world. If we take incarnation seriously, if we believe that Jesus Christ is God with us in an enormous and universal sort of way, but also in a very particular way, then we are called to be with the world as a whole, absolutely. But we are also called to be with the very particular world right around us, too. Seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf because in its welfare you will find your welfare. Jeremiah didn't call people away from the city. He called them to embrace it. And Jesus lived not only thoroughly and completely in the world, but he seems to have loved it a tremendous amount. He spent most of his time, if not all of his time, with people whose needs were urgent and very much of this world, sick people and poor people, hungry people and outcast people. He treated Roman centurions and Samaritan lepers and Canaanite women and hostile Judeans. He treated them all exactly the same as he did his own Galilean disciples. And he did the same with slaves and rulers, 12-year-old girls and powerful men, people who could be useful to him later and people who could not. No one was dismissed from his circle of concern because no one made in God's image could ever be disposable. Now, unlike Jeremiah's people, We do not live in literal exile. But there are plenty of people in our own city here in Columbia who live in a kind of exile. In 2019, which is the most recent year that statistics are available, Richland County had the highest number of homeless homeless citizens in the entire state at 851. The living wage calculated for South Carolina is $14.58 an hour, but minimum wage remains fixed at $7.25. 23% of Columbia residents live underneath the poverty line. The national average is 13%. And in our county, black drivers are 63% more likely to be stopped by the police, even though they drive 16% less than white drivers. So if you take all of that into account, 
they are 95% more likely to be stopped. They are 115% more likely to be searched after they've been stopped. But they are also far less likely to be issued a ticket, which means a significant amount of the time they are stopped only on the pretext of maybe doing something wrong instead of actually having done something wrong. When Jeremiah challenges his people to seek the welfare of the city, he is inviting them into the larger public process of the empire, of the established order. And that engagement prevents them from withdrawing into their own private and safe sectarian existence. It gives them work to do and responsibility for the community around them. J. Herbert Nelson is the stated clerk of our entire denomination. He identified recently the difference between mission and justice. To illustrate his point, he uses the image of people drowning in a rushing river. Mission, he says, pulls people out of the water. Justice addresses whatever system it was that threw them overboard in the first place. His imagery works because both mission and justice are essential in it. To pursue one without the other is like trying to make your way upstream in a canoe without a paddle. And that reality is why we partner with Transitions and Family Promise. It's why we serve meals at Washington Street United Methodist. It's why we show up to rallies about preventing gun violence. It's why we've become a covenant congregation with more justice. Because Jeremiah says, seek the welfare of the city. Jim Wallace is the editor of Sojourners magazine. And he tells a story of a soup kitchen in Washington, D.C. Every evening at that soup kitchen, every single evening, a volunteer named Mary Glover, who is a 70-something-year-old woman who knows what it is to be poor, she prays for the meal before the guests arrive. Wallace says that Mary knows how to pray. She thanks God for the gift of another day, And then she prays, Lord, we know you will be coming through the line today. Help us treat you well. That right there is the basic Christian message, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is coming through the line. That's why we are called to serve our city, to pray for it and seek its welfare, because God will meet us in every person who is assisted, encouraged, comforted, or served. And one last thing, not for nothing, that same gospel assures us that God comes to each one of us whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever we happen to be doing, in our serving and in our praying, yes, but also in our working and our playing, our parenting and our studying, our loving and our laughing, our hoping and dreaming, and even our suffering and dying. 
God is coming through the line. And God is in the midst of the city. God comes in Jesus Christ to you and to me to guide and uphold, to prod and inspire, to strengthen, comfort, and hold forever. Because while we're rooting for the hometown team, I promise you, God is rooting for us. Always. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.